Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Josh and Kaylee. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, we're sipping on inspiration with Travis, an Australian expat who's traded corporate life for the artisan world of distilling. Leaving his home country behind, he found passion in Portugal crafting award-winning rum and gin. So join Josh as he uncovers Travis's daring journey from corporate fixer to celebrated distiller. It's an intoxicating mix of ambition, creativity, and of course, the finest spirits in Portugal. Hey Josh. Hey Kaylee. Hi Dan. Hey Dan. Last I saw on Instagram, you guys just got to Iceland. Where in the world are you now? We are still in Iceland, but actually we are headed to the open seas on our way to Greenland. And what about you? Well, I just got back from a fun weekend camping trip in southern Michigan with the family and some friends. Nothing crazy, but we sure had a nice time. Nice. Camping is not Kaylee's thing. So. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> yes, that's correct. It is not really my thing. Uh, I think we've talked about that before. I could do like glamping or something nicer like that, but I am not much of a roughing it person. I don't really like hiking too much. It's not my idea of a fun vacation. What was the weather like? I'm curious because it's it's July and here in Iceland, we're experiencing some pretty cold temperatures. Man, I don't want to rub it in or anything, but we had gorgeous weather. It was low 80s and uh, sunny most of the time we were there. I mean, it's been like in the 40s. 40s. Oh, I mean, geez. we saw that Windy. it would be yeah, 40s and 50s, and it is definitely the 40s during the day, which is crazy. So I think that it's cooler than what the weather was predicting before when I was looking to pack. Hope you brought your jackets. I can't believe how cold it is for July. I think that... uh it would be not nice to be here in December and January. No, for sure. I mean, we, we've not spent much time in Reykjavik yet, which is the capital of Iceland, and we're going to do that on the back end of the trip. 
But so far, Iceland, I would not expat that. <sighs> no, it's way too cold. And I'd always thought like it'd be really cool to do one of those ice hotels and see the northern lights. And I still want to do that. But man, you, I'm going nice to have to be really prepared. I mean, I know it's going to be cold anywhere we were to do that. Like we talked about doing that, like in northern Finland or someplace yeah. like that. And it yeah. will be cold. So I think it's going to be like, I have to be prepared. Thankfully, Sia t- seems to be okay with it. As long as she's bundled up, she's not too bad. Yeah, that's how I feel. As long as I've got the right clothes, I'm pretty good in cold weather too. Now, Josh, you had a fascinating conversation with Travis. He's an Australian making rum and gin in Portugal. What's that story? Yeah, Travis and I met kind of through a mutual friend of ours that that had done a tour and tasting of the Scoundrel Distillery in Campania. And um, he put us in contact and said that we should do something, whether it be host a meet up there or, or whatever. And um, I got in contact with Travis and found out that he and Andy were doing, you know, gin while waiting on the rum to age in the bottle and uh, found out some more information about that. Ended up doing a vlog uh, with traveling with Kristen. Kaylee and I went there and we had that experience. But then also we ended up holding a meetup because the space there is really big. It's open uh, and, and Travis gets it where sometimes it's hard for us to uh, get owners of places to agree with us, right? Oh, yeah. On, uh, on hosting events there. Um, but no, Travis was super welcoming and he's just honestly become a friend now. Um, we have a lot of similar travel and living abroad experiences and locations. So, um, yeah, it's just really cool getting to know him. And I didn't know some of the things about his story in terms of, you know, moving abroad and especially moving to Portugal and some of the hardships that he's experienced. So it was really fascinating getting to hear more from him. Kaylee, as you guys have spent more time in Portugal, have you noticed a growing trend of people coming here and creating unique businesses? Maybe a second career? How common is something like that? That's a good question. I would say it's not actually that common. People talk about it and maybe they have a hobby that they pursue a little more, but they it doesn't really normally turn into a business. It's rare. You get some, but it's not full on business. And I think because having a business is hard, all the things that go into it, and we always joke about the bureaucracy of Portugal anyway. So thinking about that on the business side of things, having to learn new things there. And so I think a lot of people who are moving here, if they're coming retired, they don't really want to hassle with that. They like some sort of little second career thing, but it's got to be super easy. So I think to do something full on the way that Travis and Andy have done, it's rare to see that. You see more of side things like uh, maybe having a small um, food catering, food catering or pet pet sitting sitting Mm -hmm. business, something that they enjoy doing that keeps them busy, but isn't a full on thing the way that Travis and Andy have done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we know someone else that does home inspections, um, but not really something to a large scale. Like Travis and Andy are looking to go international with their yes, products. Yeah, there's so a big, a big corporation type thing, big business. Whereas, like the food catering thing is one thing that we have a friend who does in the Porto area, where she, you know, once a week has these Buddha bowls. That she because she loves to cook and she loves to cook fresh um, foods, and it's hard to find that, or it's hard to cook for. It's just her and her husband, so it's hard to cook for two people those types of fresh foods because they go bad easily. So doing it in bulk is a little easier. So she decided to, to share the love a little bit. So you have things like that. So it's not full on businesses the, the way that they are, but um, but little side gigs, I guess you could say. Yep. But Travis and Andy went for it. They're they, going large. They definitely did. And they definitely are. We'll dive deeper into the story of Travis and his award-winning distillery right after this short break. 
WorldPost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. WorldPost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases Amazon from the purchases, US. <laughs> And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Well, Travis, we caught you in the distillery, so I'm sure we're going to talk about some spirits here in a minute. But let's first talk about the spirit of why you moved to Portugal. What was going on in your life that you said, hey, I want to make this move? Look, I've been working as an expat for about 10 years, and mm. I, I was at a point in my career where I couldn't see the future. And, and I think, you know, uh, to put that into perspective, you know, for the 10 years, it had been places like Saudi Arabia, which you know well, Josh. Yeah. Mongolia, uh, Iraq, the UAE, and then the last posting was Nigeria. And I'd built a reputation for myself as being a good operator in those uh, environments. But all I could see was that was the future. You know, there were no good, easy, soft gigs for me. I wasn't going to Singapore. I wasn't going to London uh, or the US. I was always going to be stuck fixing up other people's mistakes and messes. And, you know, I, I got to a point where I just started saying to management, you know, you're recruiting the wrong people because what you should be doing is recruiting the right people. And then I wouldn't need to be here. I could go and get one of those good jobs <laughs> in, <laughs> in uh, somewhere that's a little bit easier, you know, to, to live and work and especially live as a family. So I think that was really the catalyst. I, I, I got to a point, I just didn't want to keep working in corporate. I, uh, you know, 
just so many bad decisions made on a daily basis that affect so many people. And I just wanted to do something for myself. And I had this realization that it wanted, I wanted to do something in beverages. And my mate and business partner, Jim, is American. Uh, and we started making beer together in Saudi Arabia, uh, which, you know, as you know, is a bit of a no-no. But yeah. uh, we did it behind closed doors and um, a big um, razor wire fence. So I guess we were hidden from view. Uh, and then on a trip to South Africa as a family holiday with a group of friends, expat friends from Mongolia, uh, I had this idea that we should do uh, rum because I couldn't find a locally made rum in South Africa and uh, I thought there's a gap. Uh, there's now about four or five new rums in South Africa at, at the moment, but at okay. the time there was nothing. And I and then I, I, I was just headstrong and thought that's what I want to do. I want to make rum. And then I just started making it happen. And the... the the first step was where, right? So that's really how Portugal came about because we had to find a location to do it. And I said to Jim that the rule for both of us had to be that it had to be neutral ground. So it couldn't be the US and it couldn't be Australia. And Australia, I guess, really from a perspective where it's uh, it's the tyranny of distance. It's just so far away from everywhere else. And so, right. you know, on the research that I was doing originally was uh, – in South Africa uh, to be near Stellenbosch and then looking at Mauritius, uh, Panama, Spain, France, you know, and then it, it came about like Jim and I had done a distilling course in uh, the US in Kentucky and we had this four square rum that was a port finished rum um, and that pretty much sealed it that what we should do is actually set up in Porto, you know, the home of port wine uh, yeah. and, and make rum here. Okay. That's how it happened. Yeah, be be close Crazy to the idea. barrels, right? Yeah, be close to the barrels. It was well, yeah, you could set up somewhere else and then import the barrels, but yeah, it just seemed to make sense to actually go where the port's made and do something different. Um, and that's about as far as I got in terms of you know research. <laughs> <laughs> well, do something different. Sounds you so definitely easy. did. Sounds it sounds easy in principle, right? But then yeah, then you know, then you've got to find a place to do it, and you've got to find port barrels and you've got to find molasses and uh all that stuff yeah yeah okay so before we dive into to the the drink let's talk a little bit about your transition time in portugal because it wasn't as if you were just starting this business and that's all you were doing you also have family life and you have yeah. your, your personal life that that's all going on at the same time and you can't just drown yourself in in your business so it was 2017 when you moved I to I Portugal. I did, Josh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I did a bit of that. I, I definitely yourself. drowned myself <laughs> in, the, in the business. Yeah, so, so, yeah, you know, we, yeah, so we moved here as a family and we'd moved, uh, you know, we, at, at one point we'd lived in, in four countries in six years, you know, and, and not easy places. So we, you know, we went from Mongolia, which was a pretty good stable environment for uh, two years, to uh, Iraqi Kurdistan up in the north and uh, and then we were there for oh, less than six months and then the ISIS invasion happened uh, so we had to pack everything up and then relocate to Dubai you know so from a, a family standpoint it, everything was very disruptive and I think that was a motivator as well in a lot of respects to actually move somewhere that was safe and stable yeah. uh, at the time Portugal was I think number four on the uh, the safest countries in the world uh, list. I think it's number five now. I think it just dropped a, a spot. Um, mm. But yeah, moving here, it, it was the first place that we'd lived in 10 years where you could drink water from the tap and walk down the sidewalk 
uh, you know, with no no issues. And I remember telling this lady that I met that we were living in this particular part of the city, and she was like, "Oh, it's so dangerous there." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? You know, I've just come from a place where there's you know razor wire and and guards with machine guns patrolling our place at nighttime in Nigeria. This place is super safe." So, but I think it was a it was a bit of a a shock in some ways because instead of moving as an expat which we'd done so many times with a huge mm-hmm. support network of HR departments and drivers and just on the ground support uh, and income, right, wages, uh, to move to to a new country, I think it took a little bit of time to actually understand that we were migrants. We weren't expats anymore. Um, okay. You know, and I think that was – I think I understood it before anybody else. I think – I think Andy, my wife, and the boys were probably expecting that there'd be another move uh, at some point. And but I was adamant. I mean, I just wanted to put down roots, buy a home, which is what we did. Uh, and, you know, we had to set about renovating that. And you know, I mean, I, I don't. Josh, you probably hear them all the time, but there's there's horror story after horror story of people that bought properties here. You know, and whether it's through the purchase process or once they've bought it, all the problems, you know, start to. Uh, become apparent and it happened to us i mean you know we had a roof that leaked but we came in 2017 it was one of the longest summers that portugal had had in years they had huge bushfires but no rain so between the time that we bought the house and moved in there'd been no rain this was right up until december and then we moved and in. you didn't know no mm. and, there were, and the whole place leaked you know and even the garage where we were storing all of our stuff uh that leaked as well we just had leaks everywhere <laughs> and it was um, and all the like every single light fitting had been pulled out of the house um, and we just expected that the fittings would be there when we came in so when we came in we basically just had bare wires in every room then it went from being the long hot summer to a really cold winter uh, and it was freezing cold and we had a small fireplace uh, and single pane glass windows and it was like my friend described it as camping inside you know it was that cold <laughs> yeah and so there was one shock and then another shock and, and it was just like, wow, you know, we were really totally underprepared for what to expect in terms of, you know, um, understanding uh, housing uh, and what properties are like. Um, you know, they, they, for a place that has so much rain, you'd think they'd just be better at building roofs, Josh, but they're not. Like they all leak. Even new roofs leak here. Hmm. So, yeah, I think that was a big shock to the system. Yeah, and actually understanding that, you know, we were – migrating we weren't we we weren't living this expat life that we'd been living previously so yeah that was a bit of a change okay so before i ask you how you coped with those changes i do want to uh ask you how do you how do you define expat versus immigrant well i think expat is when you're working for someone else and uh or you're working for yourself you're uh, you're an entrepreneur expat i guess um but you've got a support network in place so i mean i've met a lot of people that have moved to porto that have moved here for work and, you know, they get put up in a service department when they first arrive and then there's support in terms of, um, you know, where to find a property to live and um, how to navigate the, whether it be the tax system or the healthcare system. You know, moving here as a migrant, you don't have that support network in place. Well, I didn't. I mean, there's a lot. You guys do what you do um, and there's a few other groups around that do it. But at the time, 2017, there was not really a lot here. Um, mm-hmm. And even Facebook groups, there wasn't really a lot going on. It was more social than... I guess uh, yeah, migrant support. So yeah, it was a that was a real, it was a transition. I mean, I, I lived a privileged life. We all did. Yeah. We, you know, we used to holiday a lot, and yeah, you know, I earned really good money, and 
you know, we had drivers and chefs and you mm. name it. It was an extremely privileged life. And then to move into an environment where, you know, I used to have 15 direct reports. I've got no direct reports uh, and uh, everything that I need to do, I have to do on my own. Yep. Okay. So it's interesting that you differentiate it like that, which I mean, I think still by, by kind of the definition or or the motives and why you moved. uh, Yeah. Kaylee and I would consider you guys as, as migrants too, because you said that you wanted to move and really put roots down and and like, essentially you're here to stay uh, for the foreseeable future. I wanted to stay long enough and I'll I'll put a caveat in there. I mean, the other driver was to move to to Europe and and Mm -hmm. to, allow both the boys to have a European passport because that provides a huge uh, benefit to them in the future in terms of you know, employment that uh, by being dual, dual um, citizens or dual passport holders, uh, that just gives them a huge future. And you know, so, so the whole five-year process of um, temporary residency moving into permanent residency and then citizenship was a, a key driver as well for moving to Europe, Portugal. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've definitely lived the, the expat life like you, where we were on expat packages and the oh, company yeah. was taking care of like all the relocation stuff. Um, but you know, for us, what an expat is, is someone who has, uh, has moved with the intention of it being temporary or, or at least like a certain time period. And usually you get put on these contracts, right? You get put on a two-year contract or even a six-month yep. contract, as little as that, or maybe a five-year contract uh, for some people that get moved to maybe Dubai or Saudi Arabia. But yep. then after that, you leave and you go on to the next place, you know, yep. maybe with your company. Okay. So jumping back into some of the issues you ran into when you first migrated, how did you cope with that stuff? Well, probably not as well as I should have. Um, I think, look, I think I managed it okay, but I, I think... Yeah, I'd come from a, I guess a high, like a high octane job. You know, I had lots of, I traveled, you know, not once a week, once a fortnight. I had, you know, a lot of staff. So I had a lot of responsibility. Uh, And I guess I just took it on, right? And that, that was, that's just what I did, you know, whether it was finding health insurance or uh, working out how to get the house fixed, um, you know, finding contractors. Yeah, I'm pretty resourceful. Uh, yeah, and that's really what it was. You know, get the got the boys into school, um, sorted out temporary accommodation for a while uh, before we we um, moved into the house. Yeah, I mean, it's just you just get on and do it. I mean, I think it's yeah. uh, look, I don't know if it's any easier as a family or as an individual. I, th- I think it probably comes with stresses on both sides. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is it is a tough you know because the I don't know, you've you've just got to work out every. It's like everything's new. Right, it's not. Isn't it really nothing? I mean, okay, we we eat similar foods, and you know, you have to learn how to drive on the other side of the road. <laughs> Sometimes into <laughs> Australia, for Americans, no, but yeah, no, for Americans, <laughs> no. but yeah, there's just there were just lots of little things that yeah, it took a lot of time to achieve, and uh, you know, you, I worked on the rule of three, right? And I used to work on the rule of three regularly, uh, even before moving to Portugal. But it would take three attempts to achieve something. Right. And in Saudi Arabia, I used to work on the, the rule of three, but it could be a multiple, you know, it could be six, nine or 12 to actually get done what you want to sure. get done. But yeah, it was still sure. always the rule of three. So, you know, some, you meet someone that, you know, whether it be an electrician or a plumber and you think, yeah, well, that's, that's going to work. And then they let you down and then you try again and then you try again. Uh, it's yeah. not, and I know, you know, that's the same in, 
most parts of the world. But here, I think with the language barrier um, and I mean, I think I put in my brief that I sent back to you was the managing expectations. That's probably what I didn't do well enough because I, I expected Portugal to be a first world country and, and it is on the surface, but I think there's a lot of it that's not. And, and I think my realisation probably came maybe a couple of years down the line where, you know, I, I looked further at the history and, you know, the, the fall of um, Salazar's regime back in 74 that, yeah, Which the is not long, that long 50 ago. Years, 50 years, yeah. right? So yep. put, but you put that into perspective and say, well, you know, 95% of the population couldn't read or write. Everything was church and state. Um, nobody was allowed to free think. It, they were basically controlled on every level. So for it to have come as far as it has in 50 years is pretty remarkable. But it's generational change before it'll get to a point where you, those expectations are met, whether it be just with, I don't know, customer service is probably a big one. Um, but yeah, it's come a long way, but it's still, you know, it, it's still got a way to go. I think especially from a um, social aspect. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever then, have you ever then in your six years of being in Portugal, have you gotten to a point where, or you've thought about ditching it, giving up, yeah, doing something somewhere else yeah yeah definitely what's i mean I, what well, what's kept you here then oh because i'm a stubborn person and uh <laughs> i i don't like to lose at anything okay and i honestly believe that uh what i'm doing is is a good thing <laughs> even even now i mean i look at my i look at my face and i look at how gray i've become in the time that i've been here and i only mm. had a little bit of gray when i moved to portugal but this place is, you know, having lived in places like Nigeria and Saudi Arabia and Mongolia and Iraq, you know, I've said to plenty of people, it's easy, it's been easy to get things done in, in those emerging markets than it is to get something simple done here. And, you know, and a friend hmm. of mine said that it's, you know, the Portuguese have an, an innate ability to take something simple and make it complicated. And, and, and that's, well, I think that's just something that you come to terms with. I think maybe I'm on the seven steps to enlightenment and, you know, I'll find peace. <laughs> you know, uh, I've, I've shaved my head a few times. It didn't work. Um, but I, I look, I think, you know, it, it was impacted. It was impacted by the pandemic. Yeah, we had, we couldn't have got a worse trifecta, really. I mean, we got a pandemic, we got Brexit and we got a war all mm -hmm. in a short space of time. And, and it was just like being kicked to the curb every single time. And, you know, I'd never do it again. No, mm. and I, even from a house standpoint, you know, I, if somebody said to me, "Yeah, would you, what would you do in terms of property development?" I said, "I'd buy a, a, a T zero. <laughs> I'd buy a <laughs> studio apartment and <laughs> renovate the thing myself." Yeah, um, because it's this place is not for the faint-hearted. Sometimes I think there's you know a lot of people get lucky. Don't get me wrong. I think um, sometimes it's just circumstances. But yeah, I could have packed it in a few times. I really could have. But then I. Yeah, because I kept thinking about what I what I used to earn and and it, what I used to earn and then what I used to save yep. and uh, how far I'm down in the last five and a half years and it's a lot of money, Josh. And sure. I haven't earned a full time wage in nearly six years, and you know, and I came here with a war chest and that's that's gone. You know, hmm. 
I've got a coin purse now. I've gone from a war chest to a coin <laughs> purse. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully yeah. it'll build back up because I will. I, look, the, I, you the, know, the the business is built. I mean, we've got you know we're putting rum down in barrels and that's what know, I was going to say. Yeah, and that's their assets, right? I mean, I, if I look at the valuation of the distillery at the moment uh, in terms of insurance value, uh, and I don't think the place will burn down. So, <laughs> but insurance value, it's about half a mil, right? So. For all the work that we've done, it's it's in a good it's in a good place. But yeah, it's uh, I could have easily chucked it in plenty of times, but then I would have just continued to feel bad about giving up because I just don't like giving up. Yeah, I don't know if that's a okay curse or or a, or a positive. Yeah, there. Okay, so there's a couple things I want to touch on. I thought the the rule of three really hit me because I just experienced it yesterday. Right. Um, a buddy of mine and I were going to renew our our passes for FC Porto. Right. Okay. Yep. So so Kaylee and I actually we renewed our passes last week uh, when the window opened to do that because the season starts like in about four weeks. So. Kaylee and I go to renew, but we had some friends of ours, some American friends of ours who left and they, they, you know, yeah. yeah. So we have their seats. We know that are available. And what we were trying to do is just change their name on the seat to, to other people, to Valencia, our daughter, and then this other guy. So Kaylee and I ask if it's possible, we go to the, the FC Porto store in downtown. We ask if it's possible and the guy's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's possible, but I'm not 100% sure what you need. He said, take these two forms. I think you're going to need these and go to the store that's up by the stadium because that's the main store. And he said, for any new people, they can get a member's card. It's called a socio. They can get a member's card on the spot, printed on the spot instead of it being mailed. And then there you should be able to make the change. So we messaged our two friends that we were changing the tickets for. They're back in the U.S., um, so we're like, Hey, we would like to put Valencia in one and our friend in the other, who's actually their friend too. We'd like to put them on your seats. Uh, can you just write us an email and mm-hmm. like Bob's your uncle, like everything should be cool. Yep. So we go with like a bunch of different citizen cards and all sorts of, you know, ID documents. And we go yesterday and the lady's like, Oh, you need this form. And they have a form, but they didn't have the form in the Baisha store. Right. So now we, you know, so now we have to, to, to get the form sent over to our friends. Our friends then have to print out the form in the U S they have to print out the form, sign it, take a picture of it, send it back to us. And then I'll be going a third time to then finalize this. Hopefully, hopefully if the rule of threes works, well, it'll be a, that. It right? does if the rule of three works. Um, but then it's arbitrary, right? Because it's also depending on whether you get the same person to talk to again, or there's someone else. And, and that yes. happens regularly in every department and you know you'll get you think you'll you've nailed all the information that you need and then the next time you go back you talk to the colleague and they go no yeah. no no that's no it doesn't work that way and and i mean a good example of that is seth right i mean i with the with the immigration process i mean i i've been to uh i've been to porto braga villarreal and figuera de foge and they tried okay. to send me to Funchal. They tried to get me to go to Funchal in Madeira, right? Fly to Madeira to go to a SEF appointment. Crazy. Um, and every single office had a different process. You know, yep. one would require a photo, uh, a photocopy of uh, every page of your passport. The next one didn't. One would ask yep. for 
passport photos. And you, another one to go, why are you giving me my passport photos? Uh, we'll take like, your photo here. Yeah. And it's like, well, hang on. Um, this is supposed to be a national system, right? So why right. is there a national process? You know, yep. why would you have in four different offices, four different processes? I mean, that just makes yep. no sense at all. And yep. I think that's, that's part of, uh, I don't know, that's just part of the frustration that you have to go through because I think, you know, we all expect, you know, when you fly into a beautiful airport and, and you come in on beautiful roads and you see all these beautiful buildings and, you know, it's got one of the best internet uh, connectivities in Europe and yep. you, know, you just expect everything to be perfect and to work. Functioning. And functioning and it just doesn't. Yeah. Right? It just oh, doesn't. that's so true. That That is a great way to put it. I, you know, I hadn't thought about just how how disjointed it is and how some things function and others don't. And it really just goes back to like setting the right expectation. Just have the expectation some things are going to work and other things are not. And but, I mean, like, a good example of when no. it does work is working with like one of the big hardware store uh, chains here, Leroy Merlin, yep. is, you know, if you buy something there and um, you don't use it, you can take it back and get a refund there and there on the spot. And and that refund is valid for six months, not okay, not seven days, right? It's it and so there's unique parts like that where I just go, wow, it's really it's really amazing the way it works, right? But yeah, then like I think as a business a business owner, especially working in in an industry like we are with drinks and beverages, you know, just to launch a product. It, there are so many moving parts to it because you've got a cork, you've got a, a label, you've got a bottle, uh, then you've got either one box or uh, two boxes, all these different parts. And then if you work on the rule of three, by having to go to three different suppliers cool. to try and get one product launched, that's where it just becomes really frustrating. So in, in some ways, you end up, it's better the devil you know, and you work with people that you know are just going to screw you around and uh, cause you issues, but uh, you just work on the fact that it's just going to launch in three months' time, not one month's time. So yeah. rule three again, or a year <laughs> with some <laughs> with something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's part of it. I think it's it it's just over time. And I don't know. Look, I certainly I don't like to say that I accept the way that things are because it, it frustrates me that I have to accept it. But it's just the way that it is. Yeah. Okay. So the, the question I wanted to come back to was, uh, just to clarify the visa that you moved on, was it the D2? I don't know. The, mate. I, the, I tried to, <laughs> I tried the reason, to well, the reason out. why I ask this is because, you know, you know, you did say that the value of your company is, is a half a million. So I don't know. I didn't know if at the no, time I didn't you come did on a, gold, a golden didn't, visa. I didn't do a golden visa. Okay. Look, I worked out that, look, it was pretty simple for me on the golden visa with four of us uh, I think I worked out with the upfront costs and then the the annual fees. It was going to cost us like eighty thousand um, dollars in fees for the golden visa. The golden visa and and the golden visa is suitable for people that are, that can can commit to coming for one week per year. Yeah, they don't want to live in Portugal. They don't want to live in Portugal because they're living yeah. somewhere else. And and that's why there was a huge spike in you know Middle Eastern Chinese, uh, Turkish, um, Russian, Iranian, Russian, like yep. lots of people from places that were looking for another passport, another country to live in, um, yeah. but didn't have to actually commit to living here. But, you know, the, 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 the challenge that it creates in coming in on the D2 or something similar is once you start the process, you can't leave the country, right? So 
you know, I think we were here for, it was well over a year, might have been 14 months. We, we can't leave. And, you know, and then there's uh, a period where you, depending on how long it takes to get your residency and your card, you can't drive because we're on a Schengen being Australians, we're on a, a mm. Schengen visa when we first come. So we, I think we got up to nine months in the end, but you can't drive on your driver's license. Um, because it's the, the rule is that you know, if you've been in the country for X amount of time, you're no longer allowed to drive unless you've got a Portuguese license. Some of that stuff has changed now. It's changed, yeah. yeah. It but has. that was, you know, but we, people like you haven't been like grandfathered into that. I don't know. No, think. no, we weren't at all. And, you know, yeah. and therefore we, were, we couldn't drive, we weren't allowed to drive a car. So we were sending the boys to school in an Uber every day, which, you know, was just, uh, I don't know how, it was a lot of money, put it that way. And, uh, yeah, I think you know some of the rules have changed, um, but yeah, I think it, look in person. I just think they, the country, opened its doors and it just wasn't structured to, to manage the volume of people that were coming in from Brazil and uh, China and India and everywhere else. Yeah, it was bursting at the seams. I mean, I think at one point it was taking over six months just to get an appointment. Right. Yeah. Yes, there have been a lot of challenges and kind of waves yeah. in terms of how Im the immigration process has been uh, yeah. through through CEF. The, and I, do, I mean, I feel sorry borders. for a lot of people, the people that were working in that department because sure, you know, they were doing the best, they, yeah, they were doing the best that they could. And really, I yep. think you know, at the at the the base of it all of, of all of it, like Portuguese people are really nice people for sure. But, you know, they got put into a uh, a ridiculous position and. They just made they made things happen the way that they needed to get it done, but you know that just put everything under pressure. Anyway, yeah. back about so. Okay, so you've you found you have found a connection with Portugal and and with with Porto where you're currently based, and you're trying to make connections even more with your business. The name of of the gen is Invicta, which is named after the city being uh, never being toppled, right? By, by yeah, so any, any sort of outside conqueror. Yeah, the unconquered, the unvanquished is, and that's you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it's the at the heart of of Porto as a city. You know, they're really proud people, and um, you know, we tried to do Porto gen, but you can't because the the IBDP, which is the Port Institute, own the words uh, Port, Oporto, and Porto. So, yeah, that name was gone, but the next best option was Invicta, which is a fantastic name. So, yeah, it we're is. really happy with it. And and uh, I've got a lot of... It's actually more friends. interesting than just calling it Porto Gin because... Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. A little more play with the branding as well. You can, you know, yeah. using the name of the city can be kind of general. And it can. It can. You're paying homage to the city with the nickname of the city. Yep. And you have a lot of marketing fun that you can can do there. Yeah, and I think it's because it's got a Latin base. Uh, it, you know, it, it, across Europe, it, it's accepted as a word. Right? A friend of mine said, "If you're going to trademark anything, often go for Latin, like Latin words." Mm. And it was funny okay. because I didn't even think about it until after we'd done it, and then I was like, "Yeah, he's so right. Right? That was that worked." Because um, that was the other thing I didn't realize was just how difficult it was to trademark names in the alcohol sector. Um, yeah, that's a real, and so I. Yeah, I don't speak Portuguese. If that's the question that you're going to ask, I I can get by, Josh. I can order food. I can say thank you. I can ask for directions, but normally everybody reverts to English. Um, you know, I think it's an 85 percent literacy rate for English in the northern yep, part. Of seventh Portugal. highest in in the world. Yeah, it is. It's and you know, 
and I always use my justification as to why I didn't immerse myself into the languages because I was too busy building a distillery, you know, and teaching myself how to distill. Um, to you know, I was I, I was learning about intellectual property, uh, how to be an electrician, how to be a plumber, how to be a carpenter, how to be a procurement specialist. You know, I was yeah. so busy doing everything else, I didn't have time <laughs> to learn the language. And and if I was doing anything, uh, you know, I was doing some consulting for a while, and every, all the consulting I was doing was all in English as well. So you know, uh, we live in a part of the city that is, it doesn't have that same literacy, uh, English literacy, but. It, yeah, it doesn't impede what I do day to day. I can still swear at the guy up on the roof for, and tell him to stop banging. In what English. was the first words that you learned? No, well, he understands all the all the the English words. Oh, in English, in English. Well, those and are the, the first words he learns. No, uh, yeah, and then the intent behind it. So yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. My point was made, and his point was made back to me. But then I had to make my point to the landlord and say, "Hang on, man, you can't just." You can't just go ahead and arrange uh, for contractors to come in. I'm running a business downstairs and you've got big clompers banging around on the roof upstairs. So, yeah. yeah. Le- okay. So let's take a minute and and brag on what you have done with, with your business over the past couple of years. Because in June 2021, you, you really launched we these soft- products out in the yeah, market, right? Open. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We, we soft opened into the market. And, and, yeah, that was off the back of the fact that the pandemic was still alive and well. Yeah, you know, the the uh, COVID was still, uh, uh, you know, something that it just affected every aspect of everybody's lives. And so sure. we did a soft opening. Uh, we launched our first three products, uh, which is the Invicta Gin portfolio, which is our dry, our international dry, our Portuguese citrus, and our navy strength, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and we launched those uh, within about two months of being open. There was another lockdown, so everything was shut yep. for two weeks. And then I think in December of 2021, there was a full month lockdown of every restaurant and bar in the city. That's right. So, you know, in terms of um, uh, easy trading conditions, uh, it was the complete opposite. Um, sure. But, yeah, we, we launched those products and, and within – nine months, nine, uh, nine months, uh, 10 months, in April of the following year, we'd, we'd been awarded a gold, uh, two silvers and a bronze for our three products. And yeah, you know, to go from a standing start of nothing, um, and we're up against, uh, this was the London Spirit Competition and the International Wine and Spirits Competition. Um, and in the London Spirit Competition, we were, we were uh, up against, I think, maybe 15 Portuguese distilleries. Um, and, and out of those 15, there would have been about 30 gins in total. And we won the only gold for Portugal. For And, and I think it's still the only gold that a Portuguese distillery has won at the London Spirit Competition. So, you know, to go from a zero start to that type of uh, industry recognition, because it's all it's all judged by, um, you know, by industry uh, people, uh, was, a, yeah, it was a huge, a, a huge, just a huge event. I think a huge. Yeah. Feat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it is certainly not nothing to win awards, especially in those, uh, awards shows or, or yeah, what shows, we call competitions. It? competitions. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's talk about the connection between the rum now, because initially, uh, you said that, I mean, at the beginning of, of this conversation, you said that you moved to, to Portugal and especially Porto because of the whole, like we want a, port wine finish on the rum yep so 
how how has the rum been? What are the connections that you've made with rum and Portugal? What are some things you can tell us about that? Look, the, I guess the interesting thing is to, to to make rum, you first have to learn how to distill. <laughs> so, so I didn't know how to distill. I mean, these two stills behind us or behind me, um, the I mean, the one on my I don't know what it is on, on this shoulder because I don't know if it's in back to front. Uh, that was our first still, and uh, I had to get help commissioning that one and putting it together and learning how to use it and. Um, and then the one on this side, uh, Jack, our elder son, and myself uh, put that together and commissioned it ourselves because you know I, I pretty much worked out after uh, a, f- a few months that it, it's like anything, you know, you just have to look at it in a practical way. And uh, I mean, we did, you know, we did the plumbing, the electrics, the carpentry, everything in, in the distillery. And that you've been here, I mean, it's a beautiful place. I mean, I built a gin school having never been to a gin school. Yeah, um, I think it took a little bit longer than it would have if we'd used contractors. But actually, I, it probably did did get done faster by us doing it <laughs> because if the contractors yeah, yeah. Had come in, it would have maybe not been finished. So yeah, we had to learn how to. Dis- I had to learn how to distill, right? So we started on like a, a small two liter still, uh, and we were just uh, with the gin. We were just using vodka that we we bought from the sh- from the shop. Um, and so it was sourced the vodka was sourced in portugal yeah just well the vodka we were just buying from supermarkets because until you're oh, a licensed okay. until you're a licensed distillery uh you can't buy neutral spirit in bulk um yeah the stuff we buy now is 96 percent uh pure uh but if we to do our recipes our tri- original trials we were just buying vodka from the shop at 40 percent to do the gin um, and then the the rum, I was just buying like little jars of molasses, and and now I buy like three ton at a time. Um, is the molasses from Portugal? Yeah, is it from a, like yeah. Madeira or no? Well, it's from there's a sugar refinery here in Porto. Okay, so, so they bring in like as commodity traders, they bring in like unrefined sugar, and then they refine it here because uh, look for anyone that's listening, Portugal has a huge appetite for sugar, um, and it's not like soft drinks; it's pastries. Um, yes. Um, I don't know if this has been mentioned on other, on other podcasts in the past, but uh, the pastries uh, here are just unbelievable. Like I put on a lot of weight when we first got here, just because they're so good. <laughs> so did but I. Then, yeah, but then I the, the, I found the, out, the YouTube audience told me and Kaylee about oh, it as well. They? Yeah, but you say the camera yeah, put did. on ten pounds, right? And you say I'm using three cameras, and then, right? and, and then the Portuguese pastries put on another twenty. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so and the thing was that the because of the uh, the religious component and and all the priests and nuns uh, were using the the egg whites egg white. uh, as mm-hmm. a stiffener, then yep. all these egg yolks were left over, and yep. the egg yolks started being used in all these pastries. I I, I don't think I've ever seen egg yolks used as uh, in such a very Same. way. So they have this huge appetite for sugar. I mean, most people don't have sugar in their coffee because they don't need it because there's so much sugar in the pastry that they're going to eat. Right. But so, they'll yeah, definitely it, give you at least one sugar packet with whatever coffee you get, time. if not every two time. or three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got like, <laughs> all of them here. So, so yeah, there's a like by chance, and this was not planned. Yeah, you know, the idea to move to Porto was to actually you know to use port wine barrels um, and and you know source those directly from the port houses. Mm-hmm. But I was searching around Portugal trying to find molasses as the base for the rum. Mm-hmm. And then I, I can't even remember how it came about, but somebody said, "Well, there's a refinery in in Ramald. 
uh, and that's like four and a half kilometers away from the distillery. But it's it's so hidden that you wouldn't even know it's there when you drive past it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, that's where I get the molasses from. Uh, the port barrels. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I think one of the great things about Porto is it's an internationally recognized city, but it's really, really small. Um, so it's, yes. it's just a big village. Everybody knows each other. You know, I think it's definitely probably two or three degrees of separation here, not six. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody that you talk to has got a, you know, their family's got a kinter up on the Douro and they make port wine and, you know. <laughs> I know yeah. So, yeah, and I think sometimes it's like a fifth cousin, but yeah. But again, with the even with the port houses here, like I rang a couple of them and just said, "Look, can I talk to such and such as you know the chief winemaker or the person that's in charge of a particular area?" And they just put you straight through, right? I mean, I've worked in corporate enough in you know in many parts of the world where you have to go through so many gatekeepers, and and they'll basically say that you can't talk to the person, you know, because they're making the decision on behalf of that person. That's not the case here, you know. There's a way. There's a way to get, yeah, and I'm pretty persistent. You know, if, I, if I'm a little bit like a, you know, a dog with a bone, like I, I will, if I want that bone, I'm going to get it. So I will yeah. find, I will find a way. But here, it's not that much of a challenge, right? It's the, the they're really quite open, and I've had great support from a couple of them in particular that have actually gifted me port barrels uh, to do the first couple of releases. And if I bought those, yeah, it is. It's really nice. I think. You know, because I think a lot of them are like, who in the hell is this crazy Australian guy that's making rum in in Porto? Um, and I think a lot of them were just waiting to see if it would work. And uh, I think coming back to the question that you asked before about how's the rum done, I mean, you know, we're making the first uh, pure single rum ever made in mainland Portugal, which means we're using molasses as our base and we're distilling in pot stills uh, these are pot stills, um, and uh, in the one location. So they like uh, it's not as well known, but rum has a uh, a classification structure like whiskey does, and, yeah. and what we're making in particular is called pure single rum. Um, and you know, we we entered that into the London Spirit Competition this year. Uh, we got a silver, which you know, I, it wasn't a gold. I still wish I won a gold because that would have just been. The biggest, probably one of the biggest achievements to have never done it before and to win a gold medal off the back of winning a gold already for the gin would have just been like, you know, a, a major event. But, but what they did say is that, uh, in their tasting notes was that, uh, it, uh, was an exceptional rum that had a smooth and elegant finish. And I don't know if your listeners know much about rum, but not often are the words smooth and elegant. Smooth and elegant. Used in describing rum, so that's right. Yeah, what we well, I say we, I keep saying we, but I'll, I'll have to be honest here. What I was wanting to achieve uh, in my mind was that I wanted to make a super premium rum and uh, and finish it in a port wine barrel, and that was before the before the, we even had a property to move into. That was what I wanted to do, and and you know, in April we achieved that by getting that rec that industry recognition. So. Yeah, I'm really proud, of, really proud of that. And I think, you know, I'll, I will enter into some more competitions uh, next year because all the comps are in the first part of the year, um, you know, March, April. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, if I'd entered into another couple of different competitions, I think I, I may have got that goal that I was chasing um, because the way that they uh, they judge is based on different criteria. So, 
yeah, I mean, it's a it, look. It's a really significant achievement. I think I, I probably undervalue what I have achieved because I'm still really struggling financially. And yeah, I'll be honest. In the last, you know, probably last year was probably the worst in terms of mental health. Just you know, I just was like, this is just so hard. Why is this so hard? You know, yeah, life, life was so much easier when somebody else was paying me every month. So yeah, yeah. I'm, but I'm really proud of that. I mean, I, and I can't just take that, uh, you know, that award myself because Jack, our oldest son, was with me every step of the way on that uh, on that rum release. You know, basically, you know, he was learning as I was learning, and awesome. you know, he wasn't here to he wasn't here to see the, the finished bottled product. But I did send a bottle back to him with Max, our youngest, uh, to Australia in uh, earlier this year. So he, has a, he actually has a bottle of the rum that he helped make, which won a silver medal at an international competition. Which is the whole reason for coming here was to be successful, Josh. Not not yeah, to yeah, absolutely not to do something and just do it for the sake of doing it. The reason to move here was to do it and actually be successful at doing it. And I think that you've done it. I mean, I know that you're waiting on that gold, but I think I think you've already done something super special. Uh, I've had both of the rums, love them. I send people your way often. Oh, you do. Thank you. Yeah. At a, absolutely. You're welcome. At Expats Everywhere, we believe that living abroad transforms lives. In short, how has living abroad transformed your life? Oh, in, in every way. I mean, I, I think I wrote in my brief. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a little country town in South Australia. Uh, yeah. And I don't think there was ever much belief for people outside of that town right it, you know you moved you either went back onto the family farm or you moved into agriculture of some sort or you went to the biggest city and for us that was adelaide but you know my grades are always terrible at school and you know i think i had a uh, a fairly active imagination and you know always i think in some ways believed that i was capable of doing things that maybe other people didn't think i i was uh yeah i'm a twin so that makes me competitive you know, my brother and I would compete on everything, you know, throwing rocks against the, at the base of a tree, you know, who could get closest or, and, you know, I think if I look at where I've come from and where I am in terms of what I've achieved, you know, at 52, I've lived and worked in nine countries. I've, you know, I've got a master's in international business and I've got four, five international medals uh, in an industry that I've never worked in before. Um, you know, I'm pretty proud of what I've done, you know. But, I, yeah, you get one life, so you should make the most of it. That's And it sounds like you are. Travis, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Thanks, Josh. Cheers, mate. Take care, man. See you. So, listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. 
And Kaylee is a mad lady, and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things, and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts.